Well, Justin, we're back, uh, back for another episode here. We're going to start off a little different though, because uh, it's early in the morning. And uh, as much as I love wine, I don't know about popping a <laughs> bottle at, uh, you know, what is it, 8 a.m. So uh, we did have the idea for bubbles, would have been a good idea, but someday uh, didn't bring that in. So we're going to go with some coffee today for everybody. Uh, another, I would say, a not quite a second uh, passion of ours, but we certainly like our coffee around here. So we've got some uh, some Verve coffee roasters in the cup here, uh, specifically El Maison, a uh, little key lime, meringue, honeysuckle, a uh, little ode to, to Santa Cruz, uh, your, your stomping grounds for college. And uh, I've got family there. So it's, uh, it's a subscription I get every couple of weeks and I love, uh, love starting the day with it. So visit uh, Verve Coffee Roasters if you like coffee. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, but let's let's hop in here, uh, Justin. Why we're like I mentioned, we're recording this a little bit early, early in the week, early in the day, uh, and it's because you're hopping a plane and you're headed to uh, to San Francisco. So I'd love for you to just hit on uh, what's taken up there and and why it's important for you to get out of the office for a couple of days to to head up there. Sure, yeah, looking forward to it. Couple reasons. Um, I know he's trying to make the most of our time up there, but uh, first and foremost, um, one of the venture funds we're invested in, uh, Magnify has their annual meeting uh, later today, actually. So typically for mo most venture firms, they'll host an annual meeting, go over the portfolio, what they're seeing, whatnot. So I think, you know, and what we're going to get into a lot right now today, it's timely. Markets have been very, very interesting, both in the public uh, markets and as well in the private markets and venture specifically. So really looking forward to that update. And then uh, sticking with venture tomorrow, there's a conference called, called the Raise Global Conference. Um, which is focused on emerging managers. I was on the selection committee. Awesome. It, uh, it was an interesting experience. I mean, 400, 500 um, funds applied. It was a pretty rigorous process and in, in, uh, to get to be invited to the conference. It whittled down quite a bit to 20, 20 funds out of that 500. Uh, shows you people are still trying to raise money. People are still starting companies. There still is a lot of innovation going on. Um, but the, there's more and more competition within venture. So it's an interesting dynamic that's going on um, that will continue over the next, you know, who knows, 12, 24 months within the private markets. Yeah, and totally looking right. forward to it. It'll be fascinating to hear the updates and uh, maybe we can give some of the updates on Insights next week. But uh, I mean, it's going to be fascinating because as we know, the private markets still make up the, the vast majority of the investment markets, right? Like I think we've got a graphic we use with a lot of people, you know, it's a, the iceberg, like actually most of the investments, right. the private investments are below the surface, right? Where you don't typically see them, but it's the bigger part of the, of the iceberg. And the tip is really only the the public markets that most of us pay attention to. And uh, there's no shortage of, of news out there right now that's certainly causing such interesting times in the public markets and bleeds through the private markets. So it'll be a pretty interesting update. And I mean, yeah, shoot, the last week, month, year, frankly, has been just fascinating, interesting. Uh, to say the least. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but, you know, for clients listening, it's we feel this pain because our portfolios are our money's invested the exact same way uh, that our clients are. And, and we're in this with them. So to see the S&P 500, uh, you know, for instance, be down 23 percent year to date. I mean, we're we're in the heart of a bear market here. Um, you know, it, that pain definitely stings a little bit. And so so we'll go through some of the things 
uh, that certainly get us comfortable uh, looking at our portfolios and seeing them down uh, at this point in time. But, you know, one fascinating stat I heard on a podcast on the way in this morning was, you know, S&P is down 23%, but that 23% is actually created by nine days this year. So amazing, which is crazy when you start to think about it. there's 254 days uh, trading days in a market year. Uh, we're probably about 200 days in. So we're talking about nine out of 200 days. Pretty fascinating. If you just take those nine days out, which, you know, God bless you. If you could figure out how to, <laughs> way to do that, I don't even think you could implement that even if you had the crystal ball. But let's say you could, if you're able to remove those nine days, uh, kind of a silly step, but you'd actually be up 9% year to date in the S&P 500. So just pretty fascinating. I think we talked about it last week. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the opposite effect of this, if you miss the best days, what's it do to your return? I think it was uh, over 30 years if you miss the 50 best days or something like that basically wiped out your return, yeah. which was pretty monumental. So just kind of going back, like trying to time these things. I mean, the margin of error is so small to just dramatically impact your investor experience over time. And I, I think the conclusion that I would try and uh, impart on everyone from both of those statistics is the downside to being wrong if you're trying to time the market or predict the future. We all know it's yeah. it, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, but just take a step back. Even if, if you say, hey, there's a small probability I can be right. The downside of being wrong is substantial. I mean, that's what these show you, right? The 50 missed days wiping out your entire return over a 30 year period, I mean, that's painful. And then, yeah. and that puts your priorities, at, your goals at risk, which, totally take the investment return out of it. That's what's important. Now, investment returns drive your ability to do that. But think about that. If you can't actually do your goals, you can't actually live this in this life that you've kind of envisioned for yourself because right. of silly decisions that is not are not supported by the data. I mean, it, it really just, it's a strong argument in my opinion, and obviously why we do what we do, but it's a strong argument just to not play that game. Totally, well, and it's natural, right? You here, oh, I want to participate broadly, diversified portfolio, et cetera. It kind of sounds boring. Well, what about, you know, what about this new star manager that's just totally blown it out of the water? I mean, Kathy Wood, for instance, ARC, you know, that gained all the headlines last year. I mean, she was up 700, over 700% in early 2021 over the S&P 500. I mean, looked like the couldn't, can't miss person. I mean, money flowing in at the hype yeah. beyond all hype. And it's turn, taken a quick turn. Uh, it is now, she is now underperforming the S&P 500 in less than two years and just completely incinerated the wealth of, you know, tons and tons of people. What's fascinating is people still are just piling, <laughs> piling into her fund. Well, Kathy, I apologize. Uh, I think she just cut off her audio. Uh, somehow she's got to tap into it uh, and got really pissed off at that. But, uh, Kathy, it's not against you. It's against all active managers. Uh, to be clear, we just don't believe that anybody has the foresight to, to really make these moves. So I'll, I'll move on from Kathy here at the risk of her just killing our audio again, and we'll move on. But, you know, I think to go pick on somebody else, I think picking individual companies to invest in and, and really trying to figure out what it's just a hard game. I saw another quick antidote anecdote was that blockbuster video uh actually opened on this day in 1985 so uh i 
think most of the people listening, most of our clients here uh, know who know what Blockbuster is, uh, but you're a young crowd. So maybe not. So this may, may land flat, but fascinating for me, nonetheless. <laughs> Opened in 1985 with one store, actually got to 6,500 stores by 2010. I mean, in 2010, when there were 6,500 stores, people thought, you know, this is the future. They're the clear market dominator. They had a meeting with Netflix and and, uh, the owners there to actually acquire them and save them from going bankrupt. Uh, And man, what what does time turn today, 2022, there's one Blockbuster store, and I think it's an Airbnb. You can actually rent it. You you could probably (laughs) pop a VHS in, maybe play some Duck Hunt, Uh, but pretty fascinating. And Netflix, on the other hand, has got 223 million subscribers. So I think it's just, it right, it's really hard over periods of time. And that's just one example we see in the data time and time again. It's virtually impossible to go pick these companies that are going to win over the long term. So it is just a much better approach to go find that, you know, that reliable, uh, based on the data place that we can expect higher expected returns. Yeah. I mean, this is a great example of creative destruction is like, I think the technical term, but there are so many companies that go bankrupt, delist, get acquired. There's this, this just dynamism that happens within economies. And this is a great anecdotal example of it. And it's going to happen again. And guess what? I bet you one of the big tech titans today is going to be the next blockbuster, so to speak, maybe a couple of them. And that's just what happens and predicting that ahead of time. Very, very difficult uh, game to play. And like I said earlier, the playing that game puts your goals at risk as opposed to building something that's a lot more predictable. The term I like to use is robust, where we have a high level of confidence that this plan supports your goals. And, you know, I think we're going to get into that from a structural standpoint a little bit. Yeah, no, shoot, it could be Clipper Vision, right? Did you see that? Clipper Vision, they're (laughs) launching their own streaming service. You can watch, you know, every game for the the entire season, 199 bucks a year. Everyone's getting Uh, into the game. Everybody's getting in the game. So who's going to be the winner? But I, you bring up a really good point here, Justin, is, you know, our, we talked about this, but our portfolios uh, personally are built the same way that our clients are listening to this uh, in the yeah. sense of we're implementing the same way. We have the same positions, but we have completely different allocations because our priorities are different. And, you know, I think one thing that's we might not do the best job of explaining to clients is the role of bonds in their portfolio, because so we come up in this industry always taught, OK, the bonds are the ballast to your portfolio. When equities get crushed, your bonds are going to help you out. They're going to keep the portfolio alive. Um, and generally, that does hold weight. Um, but that's not why we do it, right? We do it for a different reason. Um, I think you could even walk through an example, you know, for clients listening. Uh, they're in a year where, you know, we're actually doing some tax planning. They're going to have a tax liability due come tax time. Uh, why? Maybe explain for them if you can. Uh, why that bond that we buy, we don't really care what happens to the price, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. It's a, it's a perfect little microcosm of how we structure portfolios. We structure portfolios to meet your priorities or your liabilities or right. you know, whatever term you want to use, your goals, your cash flow needs. A tax payment in April is a perfect example of that. We know through planning ahead of time, hey, here's what your estimated tax payment's going to be. Instead of paying that up front to the, to the government, we're going to keep that in your bank account, earn a little bit of interest instead of the government earning interest right. on you. That's a slight aside, but we're going to buy a bond that matches a maturity 
perfectly to when you need that cash. So you know, let's a couple of days before April 15th next year, that bond will mature. And we're not going to take substantial risk with that bond because right. that's a very important payment <laughs> to make. Uh, and so it's going to be a U.S. Treasury. Luckily, now we're actually getting a decent amount of interest on those treasuries on those positions. But between now or whenever we uh, took that cash and, and put it into a, a bond, the price doesn't really matter because we have a very confident um outcome coming to us in April of next year. The government is going to come do or, or going to be good on their money right. and make that payment. When it comes to maturity, that the principle of that is owed. It hits your, the account and then we make the payment. So that's how we're customizing portfolios, right? It, it get, gets a little bit more complicated on that depending on how we classify sure. priorities, the timing of it. You know, you think very long-term, more, hey, discretionary, it would be nice to have right. type things. Those are perfect goals over 20, 30, 40 year periods of time to match up with public equities or venture capital, private equity in general. But that's how we build this. You know, we use the term financial structure, your portfolio, a custom tailor-made portfolio. We build it based on all these priorities as opposed to a typical 60-40, which not a bad solution, but for our clients, for you all listening, it's not as robust. It's not as as uh, confident, really, in our opinion, uh, way of going about it as opposed to doing something very custom tailor made to you and, and your cash needs over time. I think it's a great explanation. I mean, to put tangibility to it even a little bit, like I, so I have a priority personally at the end of next year that I I know is coming, right? Yep. So I have money set aside. We bought a bond, and at the time we bought it. I think is probably paying around 2% interest, right? And let's say it was a $100 bond uh, to keep things simple. If I look at my account today, that $100 bond is probably worth like 80 bucks. I don't know. Yeah. So that's a not big, that not that yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. 90 bucks. Still, let's say 10% down, right? Like I could sit there and start to stress out about that or... I understand that, you know what? I don't really care about that because I'm going to clip this 2%. And next year, when I have that liability come due, I'm going to still have that hundred dollars to make that payment. Exactly. I think that's the that's the interesting thing to just wrap your head around and understanding what is the role here. And that's how we look at at bonds in the portfolio. So hopefully, people start to grasp that a little bit. Yeah, and going back, you know, the the way a, a sixty forty portfolio typically operates, that's a good solution. Like I said, but if it's not taking into account your unique situation, there is a chance that it's not the best solution for you. Totally. There's a very good chance because yeah. you know, you're holding bonds that don't align with your priorities or when your cash cash flow needs come come about, right? Um, and so there there is a better way, which is why we do what we do. Yeah. So I think, you know, a good zinger as we like to end these things is a good zinger for you uh, as you're talking to your friends, teammates, etc., family, uh, especially with the off season starting here for the baseball player clients that are listening is just you know, really explain that, explain the bond side. You're not, you're not using this as something to kind of buoy the ship, right? Like what you're really using it for are your priorities. And we're working through those priorities with you. So this is why we put so much importance on these priorities when we talk to talk to you guys, clients, uh, and we're going to kind of redouble down here, you know, as we go through annual meetings, et cetera, is make sure we really understand those so we can have the right allocations to provide for those priorities. So the zinger is, you know, ask people, hey, do you know what your priorities are? Do you know why 
you have a specific dollar amount of bond allocation in your portfolio. And if they don't, then they're probably don't have one of these tailored custom approach. So um, as you know, we've got a, a text line for this. Uh, that you guys can text into. Uh, would love to hear from you at the number 602-704-5574. Uh, we'd just love to hear if this resonates, if it helps explain a little bit more uh, how we actually put together everybody's portfolios um, or if there's anything that you want us to, to cover in the future. So until next time, own your wealth, make an impact, and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final